Ask a silly question, get a silly answer. This is not a clear and present danger. I must read the rule book again. Life's full of mysteries. Consider this one of them. Either way, I'd stay on this side of the glass if I were you. Trust me on this. This is nonsense. Hello and welcome to Who Are You? It's a Babylon 5 watch cast by a couple of internet strangers who are getting to know each other over the show Babylon 5. I am Laura. I'm Jafer. And today I'm going to ask you, Jafer, tell me, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who I am? I am a brewer. Really? So I don't know that we've talked about this yet at all. No, we have not talked about this at all. So I have been brewing my own wines, meads, and beers for 15 years. Dang, that's the trifecta. Yeah. I, I started in college. I had a buddy who was a food service major. We had a microbrewery in town, and he had kind of co-opted them and like got an internship there and turned it into a like learn to be a brewer program almost that didn't exist at the time. This was 15 years ago, you know? Yeah, right. So this was like before these were things that were acceptable or existed. It, it ended up piloting a program where I went to university. Mm-hmm. Fire up chips. Uh, so he got a gig there and then I kind of apprenticed there. I would come in on Sundays and I would help clean and I would help like bottle and just do menial shit around the brewery. And I did that for a couple of months until I started to come in earlier on those days or stay later on those days. And they would do the experimental brewing. So they'd do smaller five gallon batches of stuff that they would later throw in the giant, you know, 200 gallon tanks that we had. So that's how I learned how to brew. Like I actually learned how to brew because before I was just kind of guessing and hoping and using baking yeast and crushing grapes with my hands or asking like people to stomp on them in a bathtub for me, like, you know, do it traditional style, you know, (laughs) Um, this is all real stories. (laughs) Wow. You went all the way back. My dad does a little brewing. He he only does beer and wine, Mm -hmm. but he does not do you know, the whole thing. Like when he does wine, he gets a wine kit, you know. I would too these days, 100%. Yeah. I haven't done a wine in a long time. I mostly do beers and meads. I have like 200 (laughs) bottles of mead aging in my basement right now. Wow. Probably more than I haven't counted in a while. I've got boxes and boxes of stuff. We know where the post-pandemic party is going to be. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Ranging from stuff. My youngest stuff right now is about three coming up on three and a half. And my oldest stuff is over a decade. Wow. That's just hanging out. Yeah. Which is the hardest? To brew? Yeah. Of the three. What's, what's the hardest beverage? Beer. Well, beer is the most work. Okay. Like, um, beer is like, you're attending a boil, like things are like in phases and it goes kind of quick. Like, I've got a beer recipe that you is drinking, you're drinking it in four or five days. Mm-hmm. And then I've got beer recipes that are like 
months. Wow. That's um, a lot of flexibility. Well, it's a lot to do with the yeast you're using and the flavors and all that stuff. Mm. So like the beer, some of them would be drinkable younger than a couple of months, but I don't think the flavor's good. So I hold on to it. And then some stuff you want to drink super young because when it gets older, it doesn't taste as good. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of beers that are kind of like my standbys. So the, the beer that I am probably most well known for, I call White Elf Wasted. <laughs> it's named, named after a dear friend of mine who gave me the idea. Mm-hmm. Shout out Nova if you're listening. So I was talking to her and she's all like, you need to do a mead shandy. And I'm all like, that's an idea. And I ended up never doing the mead shandy. Um, but <laughs> it did lead me to doing a fortified shandy. So White Elf Wasted is a nine and a half percent shandy. I think that's a lot, right? That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a shandy is, shandies are usually super low proof. Well, low percent, you wouldn't use proof for them. Although mine, I guess you could. Because they're half beer, half lemonade. So you, you, I brew a like 3% lime wheat beer. Uh, I'll do three gallons of that and then a gallon and a half of lemonade and then a half gallon of vodka. <laughs> but the vodka, I do long form infusion over a month with green tea, licorice root, orange peel, lemon peel, lime peel. Wow. And that just takes everything with the beer to another level, that vodka infusion. Yeah, that's a lot of flavors. Most people tell me, ask me if it's non-alcoholic when they drink it for the first time. Oh, is that good, huh? <laughs> I laugh. Yeah, it's it's very alcoholic. It is. It has gotten a lot of people in trouble. We're good streaking! I find that that homebrew stuff can be very strong. Yeah, well, it's easy to like just let it go. When one, you're not required to stop it. Like you're not like... There's no moral obligation to be out like, if I serve a 9% beer that tastes like this, people are going to get in trouble like you would have at a brewery. Yeah. Like you'd have to put warning signs on that beer. Also, like, unless you're very careful with what you're doing and like your ingredients and your method, it's very easy for it to just get out of control with the brewing Mm -hmm. and just become very alcoholic and just not have much flavor. Yeah, that I've noticed that with my dad's stuff when I have tried it. <laughs> yeah. My dad goes about most uh, things and I've inherited this trait from him um, in that we don't read directions. We kind of have a general <laughs> idea of how things should work because we're generally smart people. Mm-hmm. And so we just go crashing in there and bang around on it until something comes out. <laughs> so that is his homebrew style as well he should try mead because it's very hard to fuck up mead i will let him know okay well if he wants to i'll i'll happily send him some recipes and some instructions he won't read them that's fine i can give him very basics like use this yeast (laughs) like yeah yeah do this like just let it sit for six months that kind of stuff yeah so that's that's something about me. Wonderful. And with that, why don't we get into the episode? We've got season one, episode three, Soul Hunter. So dramatic. I love it. It's so dramatic. It's super mm-hmm. dramatic. It deserves to be super dramatic. Yes, it does. In the honor of W. Mark Shepard. W. Morgan Shepard. 
is it Morgan Shepard? Oh, his son, his son is Mark Shepard. Yep. <laughs> who is Crowley from Supernatural. Hello, boys. And I believe he's also in Battlestar Galactica. Yes, he is. Yes. Not that I've seen it, but my husband. Yeah, we haven't out. watched it yet, so I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to Google this guy when he comes out. Oh, yeah. Because I do remember this character from when I was a child, and I do remember not liking him, which is fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's a nasty guy. But he's he's so good at it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to Google him. You know, I, I don't just have most actors' names memorized, so I didn't realize. But he he is very much a sci-fi veteran. Yeah, he's been in a bunch of Trek. Yeah, I was like, is this our first Trek crossover actor? I think it is. Presumably, yeah. yeah. That we know about. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen any, I mean, not, not counting Andreas. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I meant like guest, guest Yeah, star, guest, yeah. yeah, yeah. Guest, I believe so. It'd have yes. to be. So Mr. Shepard here was actually the runner-up for the role of Jakar. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Very dramatic and very, very serious and maybe too serious. I think he's too serious for Jakar. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad they went the direction they did, mm-hmm. but he does end up coming back to play Jakar's uncle, uh, Jishen, Jishen something. Oh, I don't remember this one. It's later. It's later. Yeah. <laughs> don't spoil that well yes we're on episode three season one so everything pretty much <laughs> is later yeah yeah well don't spoil the 30 year old show i've already watched for me <laughs> right i won't um so this episode starts at a uh, space tsa uh-huh. with dr franklin arriving yes and we get a little bit of dialogue to like pass the torch he's like i ran into dr kyle at io and we find out Dr. Kyle is now on the president's staff. Yeah, weird, huh? That has interesting implications for the future of the show mm-hmm. that are not addressed at all, I think. I don't, I don't remember them addressing it. We'll get to it in like two seasons mm-hmm. where we can put up a spoiler warning. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see. I don't, I don't recall them mentioning that later when we get more stuff with the Earth president. So Yeah, for sure. And... No one seems to find this ominous. They're all too busy being very quippy. Always this busy around here? Yes, we like it that way. I love the humor Mm -hmm. that's in this show. The show doesn't take itself quite as seriously as some of our sci-fis do sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, no one seems to think that the doctor who has seen the Vorlon and, you know, is not the same anymore. Getting called back to be on the president's staff might be weird. (laughs) The only one. And they even mentioned that he's going to be doing xenobiology. Mm-hmm. So with that and from last episode, the ending with the note that the president ran on a xenophobic thing <gasps> that makes you wonder if he's like doing some, oh. some off kilter shit. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps we're looking into different types of warfare. Yeah. yeah. Mm, not cool. I don't like it. Don't like not it. Not cool, Dr. Kyle. I don't, I, I trust Dr. Kyle to not be like that. Right, right. But I don't know. This is a world where Psycor exists. It's true. 
and these are things that I definitely did not think about yeah. when I was a kid, like, like the implications of, Oh, it. as a child, for sure. And even, no. even just watching this the first time through, you know, they just kind of gloss over it. Dr. Kyle's yeah. gone. Here's new doctor. And you think that's the extent of the setup, but there's actually something else there too. I love the layers in it. Yeah. I mean, that's just, JMS is just so good at that. Mm-hmm. And speaking of so good, we go to CNC. And yes. we get this awesome shot, just this gorgeous, like zoomed in on one of the guys on CNC. And then the door opens and Sinclair walks in and the focus shifts. And as he walks in, the camera backs up until mm-hmm. they're both in focus. Yeah. This is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Like, this is more than likely someone manually adjusting the focus on this camera for this type of shot to have it, like, stay and, like, the stark transition and stuff and to get it just right. While they're scooting backwards? While they're scooting backwards. Yeah. Well, probably on a cart. It's just insane to me, like, that the, the camera skill in that shot is just worth calling out. I feel like the skill levels of a lot of things were upped in this episode. I mean, they were in the last episode too, but Mm -hmm. this episode, we really get to see it, especially going into that next scene because we've got something coming through the jump gate. That's why we're in CNC. And the thing that's coming through the jump gate is an out of control ship that has been damaged. And yeah, it looks like a space shrimp. (laughs) And it's just, and it's just tumbling. It's only got one tail. When mm-hmm. we see it, because it's so badly damaged. When we see the not damaged version of the ship later in the episode, it looks very different. But this one, to me, was just like, that's a shrimp. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, broil Yeah. I don't know. And they clearly put some effort into the CGI for this ship. And then in, and some real thought into these physics. Like, this is something that I'm sure that my father, the physicist, appreciated when I was a child, when we were watching mm-hmm. this together. We get new music, too. Yeah. There's a different song that plays when it's coming out of the warp gate. Yeah, out of the jump gate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, out of the jump gate. We have a new song. And I'm just like, we have a new song. It's the first new song of the whole series. We haven't gotten a new song. And I was very excited about this. I'm wondering if they could either finally afford the new music. Right. They finally had time to get it together. Mm-hmm. Or if they just felt it was needed because we're going into theme from this song. Right. And that was going to be too much. And I really don't think it's the third given that they're willing to do literally that thing last episode. Right. <laughs> where it's theme and then theme again immediately for the show. Right. As background music. But... I was very excited about this new song. And then we go to theme. And I have a question for you, Laura. Oh, yeah. Shoot. Do you skip the theme? No. Do you skip the theme? Ever? I mean, I haven't yet. I'm Okay. Do you normally, like, just generally speaking, when you're watching a television show? Okay. It depends, is my answer then. Okay. Because I do, uh, I do love the Star Trek themes. I do love the Babylon 5 themes. Mm-hmm. I do generally watch those, but if I'm in a situation where I know I have a time crunch or like a lot of times I watch Star Trek on the treadmill yeah, and I do skip the theme then because it's like, I need something to take my brain off the fact that I'm doing an exercise. Okay. 
<laughs> but on Babylon 5 so far, I have not skipped the theme. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay. I usually don't, at least for this show. For Babylon mm-hmm. 5, I probably won't. For shows that have the same theme, usually by seasons two or three, I start to skip. Yeah, yeah. But I know I have I have friends who are habitual theme skippers. Like, just they'll watch it the first episode and then call it. No, no. I can't do that. Yeah. Situationally, I will skip, but I'm not a habitual theme skipper. Okay. Especially the Babylon 5 theme. I'm glad we could establish that. Yeah, it's so good. The music is so good in the show, mm-hmm. except for season five's theme, which is terrible. But all the other ones are great. <laughs> well, and I love that. I love that in Babylon 5, we change the theme each season. Yeah. And we get some of the most dramatic quotes of the season in some of our season themes. And that yeah. to me, I just, I'll sit there and I'll, I definitely did this when I was a child. I'm doing it in my head as an adult because I have developed some like social skills, but I'll sit there and I'll quote along the theme, like whatever yeah. quotes are going on <laughs> in it. Yeah. Well, we come back and uh, they rescue the ship from crashing into the station and Dr. Franklin gets his first patient. And Delenn loses her shit. Shock dot. Shock dot. No. Oh my God. Can we just grab security officers' guns and everything is fine? It <laughs> happens more than once this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's lots of gun grabbing. Like these holsters need to be secured. I don't know yeah. what's going on. It's a problem. We need a new design on this because clearly this is a systemic problem (laughs) yeah it's 237 years in the future like you'd think they would figure out like bioprinting like if i can only unlock my phone with my fingerprint why the Mm. hell is this not on a gun right now yep yep although i don't think any of the guns that are taken are fired so maybe it is i don't think so i think later in the episode somebody fires one We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll because I it. think we're thinking the same scene and I don't think they do. Oh. But we'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll do some scrubbing. Delenn loses her shit. Kill that thing. Whoa. Ooh. Rude. Oof. Little xenophobic. Right. There's a bit of that in this episode from more than <laughs> one person. She thinks getting rid of the soul hunter will somehow prevent someone's death too. Yeah. That doesn't track. It doesn't track with Soul Hunters. It does track with the episode. Oh, yes. Yes. But but being racist and happening to be right is a very different situation <laughs> than being right. Word. <laughs> <laughs> we get a little bit of dialogue between Sinclair and Delenn. I almost said it. I almost said Sheridan. I stopped I myself. I caught it. We're just going to have to keep a running tab of how many times we have to edit out the word Sheridan. And we get a time frame on their relationship. They've known each other for two years. Right. Which I thought was interesting considering how in the pilot, they're supposedly besties. <laughs> they're besties, right? Yeah. Friend. Oh, friend. He's my friend. Oh, friend. Oh, friend. Fuck you lot. Where's the beer? And the battle of the line was 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So is like stalking this guy for eight years before she introduces herself yes i guess i got some questions <laughs> me too and she's very very condescending to him in this scene it's just you do not know these things as i do for sure never seen you react violently before i had a good laugh he clearly never saw her ring chamber oh yeah 
<laughs> he doesn't know about the rings of power. <laughs> no, <laughs> Delen the Mandarin is lost to him. And Jakar did not, he did not blab because that was emasculating for him or something. <laughs> for sure. She begs him, Sinclair, to send it away. She also notes that they're immortal, which I mean, probably conjecture, especially given all of the xenophobic bullshit she's spouting. Right. But I did think that was interesting because it kind of puts them in the class of the older races with the shadows and the Vorlons. Mm-hmm. And they are like, not in that way class. Right. It just, it kind of makes me wonder about like, were they like in the version of the League of Non-Aligned Worlds when they were doing their thing? Oh like, yeah. <laughs> the League of Non-Aligned Immortals. Yeah. And we cut to a, a seemingly unrelated story from here. Yeah. This was so good. I loved this. I love the storytelling device that they're using here with the, the quick cuts between the cup game mm-hmm. and the soul hunter on the operating table. Yeah. And if you're watching it through for the first time, this is one of those interesting moments where we introduce to that this world, we still have severe poverty. And this mm-hmm. area of the station is, you know, there's a lot of things in the, the design that signal to us that these people are the poor. They're very poor. Yeah. Is this our first time seeing down below? I, let's see, in the pilot, we definitely like went there, but I don't know if there were people there. Okay. You know, as he was chasing the the Minbari throughout the station. Yeah, we did see a little bit. But yeah, I do feel like this is a much more like, this is like candid shots of down below because mm-hmm. there's no, there's no military personnel. There's no named characters. Right. We're seeing the unwashed masses, literally. There's like yeah. people who are- Need some sonic showers. Yeah. Yeah. They need that sonic shower. Their, their clothes are literal rags. Mm-hmm. They're playing a cup game. You know, the, the classic- street con round and round she goes where she stops nobody knows swindle yeah and of course the swindle turns violent because we figure out we're being swindled Mm -hmm. and we see this back and forth between that conflict and the soul hunter waking up and feeling the the conflict and and he's talking very creepy nonsense at the doctor oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah he's just narrating this dude's death the thing that established for me how creepy this dude is, is there's a, a moment in these scenes where he's talking. I think it's when he's trying to remember how to speak English. Yeah. <laughs> and the actor like closes one eye mm-hmm. and as he's like getting these words out and kind of making a face and closing one eye, I was like, yeah, he's, yeah, this is creepy, gross. <laughs> I do not like this man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he puts on a lot. Yeah, this actor has had a lot of practice playing this kind of villain, and it's it's very good. Yeah, a lot of the coloring we get, like the ambient colors in the background, mm-hmm. like the the bright purples and blues and stuff, contrasting with, and then there's like the reds of the sick bay and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just it's really cool. It's really well done. Color grading is very difficult. And then to like have it work well in HD just shows that it was like done really well and right. Yeah. Because it doesn't always work out that good when you upscale this stuff. Sure. And we get a little speech from our soul hunter. He he throws out Mimbaris are pale. And I'm just like, whoa, that was a bit much. (laughs) Well, the xenophobia goes both ways. It for sure does. Pale and bloodless. (laughs) 
right? <laughs> Which we find out is very wrong by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and even he knows that. It's so weird. And I love that this scene starts out with him doing a really creepy chant. Yeah. <laughs> and Sinclair has to goad him into talking. Yeah, and then you can't, he won't shut up. <laughs> he just keeps going. <laughs> and he, what, what's the line? This is like straight out of Hellraiser or like some metal album. Like the moment of surrender, the instant of loss between despair and ecstasy when the flesh fails and all that remains behind the soul we save not all only the special ones <laughs> just oh, like <laughs> right <laughs> leaders dreamers poets blessed lunatics <laughs> <laughs> it's some good writing he carries this yeah. off like you know if, if if a different actor was doing it maybe it would not be as good as it it is in the scene, but it does come off very dramatic. Oh, it needs the gravitas. For, for sure. sure. And I think in the scene, we get our first mention, as he is speaking of the special ones, of the Minbari leader, Dukat. I'm not just any Cardassian. I'm Galdukat, commander of the Second Order. Not the one. Yes. Yeah, we get a bit about Dukat mm-hmm. and his relationship with Delenn throughout the course of the episode. Specifically, even calling out that Delen was there when Ducat died. Mm-hmm. That's a bit later. But, like, clearly, the loss of Ducat's soul is like weighing heavily on this dude. Yeah. And later in the show, as we go on, specifically when we get to the other intro movie, we get a lot of Ducat. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a player in that show, in that movie. So, yeah. We do get a little bit here. There's one line where Dr. Franklin is like, a computer could copy the brain and give you a facsimile, but the soul, like, that's not real. Yeah. And he's just like, the idea is ridiculous. Let me go. And he just drops it with, like, such bravado that, (laughs) like, this has clearly worked for him before. Yeah. Like, if souls aren't real, then what harm am I? Let me go. Yep. That has clearly been an out for you that you have taken multiple times because you do not just immediately just drop that line with such sincerity and conviction. And I find it interesting that the doctor is so very sure of himself on this. Can't be done. It's impossible. Yeah. And it's like, this show leans pretty hard into the, the mysticism of the universe and, you know, a little bit of mystery out there. Yeah. So the doctor is is there to be the scientific mind saying, no, it can't be done. And then we're going to see, you know, sometimes it can. Yeah, we'll see. We see some stuff in this show mm-hmm. over the course of it that makes him really question his faith or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Which is different from most sci-fi. That's true. Usually it goes the other way. Yeah. Which is interesting and something that there's a lot of in Babylon 5 in general. Mm-hmm. It's the trope inverted. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, maybe maybe it's because I grew up in Oklahoma, but I did actually know quite a few scientists that were very religious people. Mm-hmm. But at least at the time in the 90s growing up, the stereotype for me was that scientists were not religious or they were not, they, they didn't suspend that disbelief. And they, they questioned a lot. If it couldn't be proven scientifically. Mm-hmm then they were they were dr franklin as i've gotten older you see that there are actually quite a bit of scientists who have more oh shall we say humility on that and recognize that there are still things that they don't even understand about their own profession so 
there's still something out there that is a, a mystery to them. Mm-hmm. But it's flipping that that trope of early science fiction, I think, was very, very sciencey. And what does yeah. God need with a starship, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we head up to CNC. And Ivanova says a funeral rite, and they torpedo this random drifter into the fucking sun. From the stars we came, and to the stars we return, from now until the end of time. No search for Spock for you. Yep. Not happening. I really liked the funeral scene. You know, it does more to establish that this universe has not rid itself of poverty. You know, he says that the family, the next of kin can't afford to bring his body back, so we're just going to shoot it into the sun. But I think Claudia Christian has a good gravity oh, yeah. to this. And, you know, she takes she she takes herself being Russian very seriously, but she takes the, the funeral with a, a lot of dignity sure. that she gives to this person that was unnamed drifter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we get more, we learn more about them from her funeral, right? And that's to say nothing than we did from the entirety of their life in the show. Mm-hmm. And we do get a little bit with her being Russian, obscenely Russian. Yes. You know, right after with the humans live for a hundred years and you, once you finally figure it out, it's done. And Ivana was just like, eh, if we live 200, it'd all be the same. We're humans. Yeah. We would still fuck it up at the same regular intervals. Yeah. And he's just like, you're a pessimist. And she's just like, I'm Russian. We understand these things. Mm-hmm. We get Delenn going back to confront the creepy guy. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was interesting that, you know, he's got an Earth Force security officer out there. She grabbed somebody's gun and tried to kill this guy, but we're just going to let her go talk to him by herself. This security guard is super competent, as we find out later in the episode. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, and he <sighs> he outs her in this oh, scene yeah. as Satai Delen, a member of the mm-hmm. Grey Council, which we've had that alluded to before in the pilot, mm-hmm. but he completely outs her. And this security guard is not standing far enough away to be right. Like he totally hears this. Yeah. And she just walks away, but it's cool. Cause he's about to die. So it's fine. It's a problem that solves itself really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like Delenn doesn't have to worry about offing this guy, but we get, I love this scene. We get a lot about Mimbari reincarnation, mm-hmm. which is super foundational to their society and their structure and is a incredibly pertinent plot point later in the series the mimbari belief in reincarnation is paramount to everything that happens in the show if if it wasn't for that strongly held belief by their people nothing would have happened the way it was supposed to right and so supposed to air quotes so we get a lot about this and it's a very good way to introduce it because not only do we understand the Mimbari better for it, but also why she's behaving like this. Cause she's all like, we're taught in schools to hate these things. Like from when I was a child, I was told to kill these things, Ooh. Ooh. you know? <laughs> and it's just all like xenophobia. Whoa. Uh-huh. But at the same time, it's like their belief in reincarnation is so strong that by removing their greatest souls from the pile Mm-hmm. Their culture diminishes in a way that it cannot repair from. Yeah, these these aliens are taking the foundation of themselves, yeah. the Mimbari race. So you can see why it is so strong. Mm-hmm. 
And then we get like once more of the same, the opposite of how this normally works in sci-fi. Normally you have the super scientific belief presented or the religious belief presented and the scientific belief goes, nah, right? Mm-hmm. Let's science this up. <laughs> science this up, right? And here we have the religious belief, right, of the Len. And he's just like, you're a child. You don't understand how the universe works. And just yeah. drops some hardcore nihilism. Yeah. Like, these guys are kidnapping Lebowski. Like, it is rough. Bunch of fucking amateurs. And it's just, it's so juxtaposed. And then we get a jailbreak. Mm-hmm. Soul Hunter collapses, fakes it. Mm-hmm. Dude puts on his breather, runs in, gets punched in the face, right in the mask. Rookie move. Yeah. And we've established humans can't breathe in there right now. Mm-hmm. They've, they've put that line in there and that mask, if it's loose at all, that guy is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Soul Hunter grabs the gun and pieces. And then we get some CGI orbs and we get two scenes in rapid succession that kind of say the same thing. The Soul Hunter knows why he's here. And in CNC, they got to figure out who's going to die. And it, when we're in CNC, I think we get suddenly something else coming through the jump gate. There's a little bit of a scene in between here oh, okay. that I wanted to call out. Okay, do it. So 2601, we see these two frog pigmen <laughs> outside the door. And they've just got radio clocks on their head, like complete with the antenna and time. Like these things just <sighs> picked up at Radio Shack and glued onto their heads. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I was thinking about the fantastic alien we get inside the room. Oh, our favorite giant praying mantis. I'd watch that show. Yes. Yes. That costume is really good. It's fantastic. I feel like we spent some money on it. I meant to Google if that was Doug Jones in there because I just assume. They do a close up of this thing for a reason, because someone in the, the art department, the costume department, put a lot of time into this guy. Oh, yeah. They knocked it out of the park. It's an excellent outfit. It's clearly a dude because we know what the CGI looks like. And I appreciate it even more for that. Mm-hmm. The whole scene with him in there is excellent. So after the fantastic praying mantis is when we get something coming through the jump gate. Yeah. So at 2713, another scrub to mm-hmm. they show us CNC from the outside, but it's upside down and on a different part of the station. <laughs> Now, if you look in, you can see that it's clearly Ivanova in there, right? Like it's, it's our CNC, but every other time they've shown us CNC, it is directly under the main docking bay on the front of the station. Mm-hmm. They'll like zoom out from the docking bay and we'll see it. It's even in the opening theme. You get that zoom in there. Right. I don't know if that, I think that's in the season one or maybe it's in the season two one. Uh, this is like somewhere else completely. I got no idea where this is on the station because it's like a little bubble on top of something. The top of the station is very flat. So I don't know where it would be there. I got no idea where this thing is, where they pulled this from or what they were thinking. Look, man, we spent the money on the CGI. (laughs) We had to do something. Right. All the money (laughs) went to the Mantis suit. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. It just, it's very unusual for Babylon 5 to make a mistake like this, which is the only reason I call it out. That's true. Yeah. They're pretty good with the continuity. Yeah. They're too good with the continuity. But we'll talk about that in season four. Indeed. <laughs> so we get a second Soul Hunter coming up. 
And Sinclair goes, two soul hunters, did someone book a convention without telling me? And I love this. And it's real quippy, like this episode. And before he passed and what was going on in his life was exposed and we learned what a tragedy his his life was. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of Babylon 5 conventions without him. Yeah, that's true. And I really hope when they introduced the cast, they played this line. Yeah. Bef- that would be I really mean, good. I, afterwards, totally insensitive, right? Mm-hmm. Like when once you know what happened. Right. But it was an v- incredibly well-kept secret and it would have been really funny. And I really mm-hmm. hope it happened when it would have been appropriate. Right. And then he's, who are you here to see? I am here to see you, Commander. And quickly, before it's too late. That is a direct threat. Are you threatening me? <laughs> yeah, I wondered. I was like... You know what these people do. <laughs> it's like, are we, are we not a little frightened here? <laughs> like, he's about to break rule two here and bring guns and drugs to that TSA. And it's going to be a problem. Right. Now, I've thought about this. And I thought about how, you know, obviously he does mention soul hunter number two mentions that he has been hunting this guy because he has gone rogue. We find that out in the next scene, but also they're drawn to death and he knows that somebody is going to die. He knows someone is going to die. Yeah. And someone spoilers for like 10 minutes later does die. Yeah. Did he know who it was going to be. I, I mean, he obviously didn't because he was worried about multiples or or something. So yeah, it was very interesting. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't know that it's that specific. Mm-hmm. Like they know where they feel right. where. Yeah, but I don't know that they know who. Yeah. So I wonder. I wonder if, as this episode wrapped up, he went, "Hmm, that's really interesting." Yeah. <laughs> So he comes down, we find out that other soul hunter is just lost his shit and is on a murder spree, mm-hmm. has killed a bunch of people. Yeah. He's been yeah. like running around the galaxy, killing great leaders and poets and blessed lunatics, uh-huh. which man, like, okay, your soul gets thrown in a jar. You're hanging out for eternity with all these other people that souls are in jars. Like you got a couple poets, a couple you know, you got like Abraham Lincoln hanging out and stuff. And, and then there's just some crazy person. Uh-huh. How do you deal with that? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would be the blessed lunatic. It seems like it would be a very dramatic sack of jars to hang out with just in general. Right. I don't want to be in that sack for forever. That sounds like hell. Nobody who is, who is famous and important is stable, you know? That's fair. That's that's actually just very fair. Yeah. Free Britney. Leave Britney alone. Anyways, so we find out he's going to get Delenn and he's going to get her with a contact juggling orb and some rope lights from my dorm room. Oh, yes. So he gives a super creepy monologue where he's explaining all of what he's going to do. And and that super creepy monologue is very well delivered. And it has to be because that machine looks like crap. <laughs> it looks like crap. Her bindings, if you go to 3332, mm-hmm. is that like aluminum foil bubble wrap that's just wrapped around her hands? It doesn't even look it's attached to anything. Oh, it's terrible. It's real bad. Like, I'm not going to like super critique bindings on a podcast. I'm not going to super critique bindings on this podcast. <laughs> but I got a problem there. Uh-huh. 
And just to lean into it a little more, he's got his very slow, pointed cadence, Mm -hmm. taking you slowly on a journey with words. And it's just really some like, one of my friends would refer to it as daddy dom energy. Oh yeah. This is a real rape energy scene that I do not, do not love that. Oh yeah. It's, it is not comfortable at (laughs) all. As he's straight up like just Dracula's Delenn. Just like all your blood is gone. But you know, Sinclair and the crew to the rescue, it does go a bit awry, but the souls turn on the soul hunter, like the rope lights get turned on the soul hunter (laughs) and his soul gets trapped in a jar and Delenn just wakes up. Yeah. It's like all of her blood is gone and she's just like, Oh, hey, we chilling? Yeah, and I I was a little uncomfortable with the scene. Having watched the rest of Babylon 5, you know, yeah. the way that they're looking at each other, I was like, ooh, this is super, like, romantic almost, and I don't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be. Yeah, I know. This was before, yeah, because originally, you know, when Sinclair was going to be around, mm-hmm. the savior of the galaxy or whatever was going to be their kid. Yeah. But that was going to be the one that, well, that's for a whole yes, other episode. That's, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> we get a line uh, from Dr. Franklin reflecting that she lost a ton of blood. And that's like one of the reasons why they were great warriors is because they can out persistence predator humans, which is terrifying. Yeah. Dr. Franklin gets really chummy out of nowhere. And it's just like, so, uh, Commander Sinclair, uh, you just can't happen to empirically prove souls exist and there's an afterlife, can you? <laughs> for someone who was so sure we really want to know don't we yeah we needs to know after this sinclair goes back to his room and uh, he asks the data computer to search for uh satai Mm -hmm. and it doesn't give him back the thai appetizer it tells him that it's the gray council and the ruling body so he's like i'll figure that out later I like how he keeps asking Google questions and she doesn't know what to say. I like how he just leaves it on the table. He's like, oh, that's a mystery for another episode. Like, good pacing. Going to bed. Um, But we do get, there's a super cool thing in the background here. At uh, 4108. This is something on my SD rewatch (sighs) for HBO Max I didn't catch. Yeah. But in HD, it's clear as day. And that is the Sinclair aircraft chunk of damaged fuselage uh-huh. from a like clearly from a downed plane that's up on his wall truly every frame is a painting that is a good get i fucking love this thing i don't like need things from shows that i like i've got a couple pieces of art up in my office you can probably see some of them i would love this thing on my wall right it's a deep cut it's a deep cut, and I, no one would no one would know what it was when they saw it, and I wouldn't care. I might find a way to recreate this thing and make one for myself. Totally, totally. Just hang it up in my basement by my bar. Definitely. I mean, because we did establish in the pilot that the Sinclairs mm-hmm. go way back as pilots. Yeah, fighter pilots since the Battle of Britain. We've been flying since it was a thing, and I, I love how the the quarter sets changed in general. Yes. They needed it. Except for one thing that's coming up in the next quarter's scene. Yeah. 
After we leave Sinclair's quarters, he's escorting Soul Hunter number two off the station. We get a great line out of Sinclair here. Mm -hmm. Life is full of mysteries. Consider this one of them. Yeah, he's not going to let those souls go. I need to figure out a way to use that line at work. (laughs) (laughs) Next time someone asks me a question I don't want to answer, that's going to be the line. Go do it. I want to know. Send me a text. We'll see. Maybe by next episode. We'll see. I'll I'll report back when it is deployed, as it were. It's a mystery for Soul Hunter number two, but it's not a mystery for us, the viewer, because then we immediately cut to Delenn's quarters where she is cradling these little soul balls. And it seems like maybe she's doing a little squish and then they just evaporate and the soul flies away. Yeah, like dissipates and messes with some wind chimes. Yeah, her wind chimes on On a space space station. station. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) They're here specifically for this, so we can know when a soul is flying away. (laughs) Now, I will believe that of all people, the Mimbari would have wind chimes on a spaceship. Yeah, it does track. Just to, like, not make noise. Just to be there, right? Like, it seems like a very Mimbari thing to me. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have some mystical thing that they say about the wind chime that makes no noise. Right. So Delenn frees all these souls, and she's very gleefully doing this. She's very happy about it. And that's the episode. And scene. Yeah. And then, yeah. And next episode, Born to the Purple. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love next episode. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remembered this. I thought that this was later in the show. I did too. Yeah. I did too, but this is like one of my favorite episodes from season one that I remember. You know, I, I once told my college boyfriend who bought me the DVDs not to buy me season one because none of it was good. Mm-hmm. And clearly I was mistaken because I was remembering this season, this episode being somewhere else. I'm excited to talk about that one. And I, I really felt, you know, I don't like this episode in that the dude is super creepy and I don't like that, (laughs) but it is a very good episode. It makes you uncomfortable because it's supposed to. Yeah. Well, yeah, all the stuff. Yeah. All the, all the creepy stuff with Lando. And I mean, the episode description is Sinclair helps Lando's political career when an exotic dancer steals his secret files to gain her freedom from her sadistic slave owner. Yeah. Just yeah. set the stage there. I love all the drowsy stuff in this episode. Mm-hmm. The B plot to me is more memorable and it's a really good Londo episode and there's a lot of good stuff. And I just saw the episode name and was excited. And then I read the description. I'm like, Oh, that is the same episode. Right. That B story is so strong. You really remember that almost as its own thing. I mean, they named the episode after the B story. It's a good one. I'm, I'm excited to, to get into that. I have promised my husband that I will not watch my first episode watch. You know, I've got to watch it like three or four times before we talk mm-hmm. here on the podcast, but I will not watch the first one without him because he has not seen the show. And so he is trying to uh, get into it with me. Yeah. And I did almost start to watch this one on the treadmill, just not thinking. And as we got before the cold open hit, I was like, oh, I need to turn this off because he is going to have some hilarious things to say about this opening. For sure. Yeah. So we get to share that tomorrow. Yay. Enjoy. Overall, a good episode. I can't wait until we get into more. I'm really having yeah. fun. Yeah, it's really hitting a stride. 
And the CGI is still terrible, but the makeup's good. <laughs> and the story's really moving. Like, just like this podcast. For, just like this podcast. <laughs> moving along. Yep. Yeah. Thank you to Jeremy Siegel for our uh, theme music that we use and, and drop some little clips into sometimes. If you like Jeremy's work or you want to see more of what he's got going on, he has a band camp out there. He's jeremysegal42.bandcamp.com. And I happen to know that Jeremy also puts some stuff up on YouTube sometimes because he posted a fantastic cover of some of the Minecraft music that he covered on his bass. Oh, that's fun. And my son thought that was really flippin' cool. That yeah. is really cool. So thanks for sharing your talents with us too, Jeremy. We appreciate it. Thank you. That's all, folks.